0: Welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Ashlyn Kazarian. On today's show, we're going to talk about a very controversial and important topic in tech policy, the deepfakes. What do they mean? How they affect our democratic process. That's what we're going to focus on today. And we have Taylor Barkley from Stand Together. He's Program Officer for Technology and Innovation there. Joining us, Taylor. Thank you for being here.
1: Thanks for having me, Ash. It's good to be here. The last time I was here was with Evan Schwartztraver, and I must must say it's going much better this time.
0: (laughs) I don't know about that. We've (laughs) just spent 20 minutes trying to set up the technology. The machines are rebelling, Um, but it's good to have you here. And before we dive into the topic, uh, what is stand together?
1: So, Stand Together is a philanthropic community uh, aimed to help, help social entrepreneurs and uh, folks in the community, in various communities throughout the US, uh, better themselves and better other people's lives. Uh, we focus on education, business, local communities, and government policy.
0: Well, I'm glad that you guys are definitely focusing on technology because it's a very important area and close to our hearts here at Tech Freedom, obviously. Um, so, okay, let's dive right in. Deepfakes have been in the news almost every other week. Uh, one of the biggest, I think, um, blow ups recently was the Nancy Pelosi deepfake video uh, that was altered. Although, I don't even know if we can call it a deepfake because right. it was altered right. to just slowed down her exactly, talking, yeah, yeah. it was still her.
1: I think some people call it a shallow fake.
0: <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. But so, it's just
1: edited video. Was yeah, it was, was an
0: edited video, as a, like a photoshopped photo or something like that. Exactly. Um, so obviously, there is some unclarity with a definition of a deep fake. As far as I understood it, it was um, a video or an audio uh, that was altered for someone to look like someone else.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So deep fakes typically are uh, videos uh, with someone else's face kind of grafted on to maybe someone else's body. So my face on one of the Hemsworth brothers uh, bodies, perhaps, uh, because there's a lot of video recording of the Hemsworth Hemsworth's. acting out there. And there might be a video of me, say, giving speeches or talking, or maybe I just have a bunch of video at home. And so I would put that data in a complicated uh, software algorithm. Uh, most deepfakes, use, they use generative adversarial networks, GANs, although I think there are some other uh, algorithm types out there. And you can find these on uh, open source platforms like GitHub, and people are modifying and making edits to them. And so you put the data uh, in uh, in the software and, you know, this is way oversimplifying it and I'm not a software engineer, but out would come basically a video of me on my face uh, saying certain things on Hemsworth body. Um, so that's the, the quick and dirty definition of a, a deep fake. And, it, you know, there are also audio deep fakes. Uh, Jordan Peterson re- recently wrote an article about uh fake audio of him, you know, saying things he never actually said and he was kind of rattled by it Uh, Of course, you know, there are thousands of hours of Jordan Peterson talking out there So there's enough material to work with where software can take the bits and pieces and through this process of kind of false and then false and true information and whittle it down and out pops, you know, Jordan Peterson basically saying whatever you would want him to say. I put Jordan Peterson air quotes there in a deep-fake context.
0: Obviously, the algorithm is an open source. And basically, Mm -hmm. anyone who has any understanding of technology can learn how to use it and put someone else's face on someone else's body. It creates a lot of different situations. And I don't think we're going to talk about revenge porn or anything like that today, because that's definitely a separate issue area. And we're, is, going to yeah. have a, we're going to have an episode on that separately. Yeah. Uh, but if we're talking about other uses, uses in the political um, discourse, uh, what have you noticed? What are the trends and what are the current fears that our society has about that?
1: Yeah, so a lot of deep fake articles, even though as you bring up pornography in one uh, recent study deepfakes. I think 96% of deepfake videos on the internet in this study were related pornography. So that's the vast majority of uh, deepfakes. But most articles popularly discuss them in the political context. Uh, And there's lots of hand-wringing over oh man, there's going to be an election, maybe 2020 or in the future where it's the night before and this video pops up of say the the leading candidate saying something outlandish and damning or illegal or, or terrible like some morally terrible, uh, thing. And it's or
0: doing something terrible. It,
1: yeah, it, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, here's a video of such and such, uh, you know, doing something terrible. Uh, and you can just, you know, punching imagine a baby, punching a baby, you know, exactly. So, uh, there's lots of hand wringing over this. And my perspective is, uh, I think there's maybe too much hand wringing going on. Uh, the worries are overhyped. I think there's this uh, unneeded uh, fright over deepfakes. When I think the reality will be much more uh, fluid, you know, we and uh, will we'll adapt like we do to every every new technology and every new type of media. So, um, yeah, that's the the typical fear that's that's trotted out, and I think it rests on some dubious assumptions.
0: If we're talking about the political process and let's say the night before election, it doesn't even have to be a night before election. We saw in the last presidential elections that the events that occurred a month before might have totally changed the course of history and then were walked back, kind of, but by few of the major players in those situations. And we're not going to get into, this is not a politics podcast. None of our political opinions matter for you guys who care about the technology and the, the regulation. But my question is, I think people would push back and say, well, the harm is going to be there, at at least for the first couple of cycles of elections, I guess, when um, general public, not me and you, but general public won't be able to recognize um, the deepfake. And then we always know that even walking back anything that was untrue doesn't have the same effect and doesn't convince a certain percentage of people who are convinced, oh, let's say, I don't know, Justin Trudeau punched the baby. Right. Um, today, we found out about the Canadian election results, so I think he's fine. Yeah. But you know, something like that. And then there will be someone somewhere in Arkansas who doesn't change his mind about this politician. What would you say to people who kind of push back and say the harm is going to be imminent and uh, delude our democracy?
1: Well, I would say misinformation, disinformation, uh, lying, that's nothing new in human discourse and just what it means to be human, certainly in politics. Uh, so we've dealt with that before. And I think you're right that, uh, you know, whether they're true or not, you know, claims about maybe a candidate's past behavior uh, can have Bad effects and negative effects, and there's uh, a give and take of you know both sides trying to verify whether it's the the alleged, uh, statement writing or what have you was true. You know, some candidates say, Oh yeah, I did do that thing. And then the process changes, you know, some deny that, uh, something happened and then, you know, it's kind of this adversarial, like back and forth about, well, it's, it's a verification process. And I think with a deep fake video, it'd be much the same of, uh, you know, this adversarial process of like, proving whether something is true or not. And um, so I think those those structures will stay in place. Um, You know, we still have a you know, we have a world where uh, anyone, you know, anywhere, anytime with uh, thanks to a smartphone can broadcast their voice and image anywhere else in the world. Um, But we still have uh, trusted third parties. companies, you know, like newspapers and TV stations, um, even online uh, news sources who rely on being trustworthy. That's their that's what they bring to the market. And uh, those services, I think, will stay in place. And, you know, you mentioned the maybe the folks who will just believe it no matter what. And I think that's that's also nothing new. And Uh, that's a
0: niche, right? Yeah. (laughs) I've met some folks traveling through Texas uh, that told me Quite a few interesting stories about how the Kennedy was killed, and I was like, "Let me get out of this Uber."
1: Right, you know there. (laughs) uh, I I think so. Yeah, you know there. There are uh, cognitive biases. Uh, People want to believe and see what they want to see. You know, listening to an interesting the history of like the Roswell uh, UFO crash in 1947. And you know, no matter what kind of evidence is trotted out, um, I wanted to think that, oh yeah, it would, be, it would be pretty interesting if we found alien bodies. But I learned that the alien body accounts didn't come out until 19, the 1980s, so 40 years after the event happened. Um, and that, to me, was like, all right, this probably <laughs> probably was not true, even as, as fun as it might be. But I think there are people listening to some of these folks talk about the Roswell alien crash. Uh, say no, it happened. I think just because there's this cognitive bias that I really want it to be true, so kind of no matter what evidence comes my way, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it to to be true.
0: Am I understanding it correctly that you are saying that there will always be people who believe at disinformation um, and will kind of have their own version of events, whatever they are, and act on them, and that's part of a democratic society where you can force people yeah. to think the way you think is right.
1: I think that's the case. Yeah. And, you know, um, some of these you know, the, then there's this discussion. Well, is the Internet making more uh, people think this way? And I haven't seen convincing evidence that um, more people are thinking uh, that way or, you know, kind of being locked into that cognitive bias track and never leaving it ever, ever. You know, Um I've read an interesting book uh, that has really influenced my thinking about uh, technology and media. It's called Bored, Angry, Lonely, Tired. Or Bored, Lonely, Angry, Stupid. Excuse me. Oh,
0: that describes almost a lot of people who tweet <laughs> at me.
1: But it's the subtitle is The Changing Feelings About Technology from the Telegraph to Twitter. Mm-hmm. And uh, so. For instance, you know, people talk about Twitter. Oh, it's just made us so much more polarized and angry. But what you had happened in the 18, mid-1800s, you had indignation meetings where people would gather in a place. Uh, there was one, there's this photo of a poster in Ohio. I think it was in the, in the 1830s, an indignation meeting about uh, big company monopolies. And people would gather and basically just shout about how angry they were about monopolies in Ohio. Uh, There were indignation meetings about the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. So this is a human feature of, you know, getting uh, passionate, shall we say, about uh, politics, about cultural issues. And it's, you know, the Internet makes it more visible. Um, But uh, I would I'm not convinced that uh, there's like a net positive increase in terms of, like, say, more anger in the world. If anything, it's just more visible.
0: I see your argument. I guess my question, my next question would be, is there a reason we shouldn't over-regulate or restrict deepfakes? Is there any positive result that comes out of them?
1: Yeah, yeah. They're, uh there are definitely positive uses, and you know these hand wringing articles are talking about these nightmare scenarios. When in fact, the reality we live in a world where this technology exists. It could be used in a nightmare scenario. We haven't seen it yet. If anything, we've seen uh, fun uses. Fun uses. Uh, Doctor Fakenstein is a fun. I think uh, YouTube channel at least. Uh, he has a great video that's uh, uh, the Full House intro. But he has Ron Swanson's face uh the actor i forget his name uh uh nick offerman yes nick offerman's face on every every actor in the full full house so it's full house of mustaches and that's that's a, i mean i've laughed at it i laugh thinking about it because you have uh the olsen twins uh with mustaches um that's that's more the reality we're living in now and uh jeff westerling uh our Street Institute has done some excellent work uh, talking about deepfakes and uh, cultural adaptation and policy adaptation, and he brings up some great positive use cases of uh, using deepfake video to maybe uh, do kind of like a time lapse of say a missing child, someone kid who's gone missing. We're trying to find them years later uh, using these uh, this software to develop. Okay, here's what they might look like in the future. Uh, you've seen uh, in movies um, in Star Wars, you know, bringing back
0: Carrie Fisher,
1: Carrie Fisher. Is uh, it the Admiral uh, or Grand Moff Tarkin? Oh, man, I'm testing my Star Wars knowledge here. You know, the guy, the Imperial dude who calls the hit from the Death Star on oh, Alderaan. Oh, right. Yeah. What's his name? All of them. Josh can edit in the name it's later. It's
0: 10 a.m. You can't ask me those questions.
1: <laughs> so anyway, you know, that, there's like a positive use case bringing actors we, we like back in, Uh, Into into movies we love.
0: Movies we love. And I think, um, first of all, I don't think they needed to kill Harrison Ford, but that's my own. Harrison Ford, Han Solo should have been alive and we would not have this problem.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, you know, those are entertainment and fun. And I guess in the case of, you know, missing children, that's a genuine positive use case. Um, In these hypothetical worst case scenarios, we exist in a perfect environment for uh, deepfakes to be implemented um, to maybe cause like political upheaval um, with politicians who are maybe act unpredictably. Where okay, that's a more perfect, envi- a perfect environment for someone to create this deceptive recording or
0: gaslight yes, the nation
1: exactly. Um, and I think it's just more deception is more complicated than just posting one video online.
0: Um. Especially if you look right now, I mean, this is a little different area, but a lot of uh, criticism is currently targeted at Facebook for basically giving a check for any politician um, and not contesting what they say on their platform. But at the same time... It's uh, pretty much a lose lose, no matter what you do. Like yeah, yeah. they say, oh, you're biased against the left. You're biased against the right. Like those before, and was saying they're biased against me. Now Facebook says we're not going to touch anything you do. Just say whatever you want, even if it's. Well, she just recently said that Mark Zuckerberg uh, endorsed Trump, which is not true, and right, right. Facebook didn't touch it. And she used it as like a, an example of how the system is bad. But at the same times. If someone is an arbiter fully legally legally in their right because Mm -hmm. they're a private company to be an arbiter of whatever happens on their platform, Mm -hmm. we're unhappy with them. If someone says, you know what, political speech is more important, and so we're going to let the... We think that the voters are smart, and we respect them, and we're going to let them decide and analyze the information, and somehow that backfires, it's just mind-boggling to me because it's like you can win.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's kind of... uh... So Jeff Westerling, in his paper on deepfakes, he makes a great point. You know, folks who wring their hands about deepfakes and how it's going to be the death of democracy um, are simultaneously saying um, everyone's going to believe everything they see, and then are also saying it's the death of truth. So it's like, which is it? Like. Everyone's going to believe everything or, you know, truth is going to die. And I think like you were outlining, it's a similar sort of I want to have my cake and eat it, too. And the reality yeah, is more complicated than that. Uh, you know, Hillary Clinton uh, tweeted a, uh, a, a document from like John F. Kennedy, right? That was supposed to be a parody of Donald Trump's letter to um, uh, Turkish, yeah, Turkish president. And. I don't know if anyone who saw that letter and said, "Wow, that's really interesting history," um, if you know it's parody, it was meant tongue-in-cheek. We kind of take context is important for how these things are released. Um, and uh, you know, are we
0: going to stop joking? That's the thing because the yeah. YouTube the YouTube example you brought up. Uh, that's the creativity that exists. And it's not even, we're millennials, you know, and yet I, but there's a whole new generation after us. And I feel so old. I mean, you have a baby now, but I mean, I feel old and I don't even have a baby, but they all are just so creative. And they, the content they create and the way they create it is so different from anything that was there before. And I don't understand most of it. When my very young teenage cousins were visiting and showing me videos, I had to pretend that I thought it was funny. And you know, it's okay, but their their expression and their speech is different from ours, and yeah. so try to kind of curb it even before it fully forms is also very concerning.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. You know, there are uh, some bills out there aimed at combating uh, deception on deepfakes. Uh, I believe Senator Sass has one. Uh, Congresswoman Yvette Clark has a bill. There's a bill in New York State, and. Uh, most of them are, I believe, are aimed at uh, combating you know, deceptive. So, if a video is produced with the aim of deceiving people, that's made illegal, and that's a really hard thing to verify. Uh, so, most of these bills the intent have been,
0: of creation exactly, of something. How do you? How, how would you, you prove that? How are you? Oh, that's going to be such as a lawyer yeah. in this room. Yeah, just like Baron likes to say that as a lawyer in this room. <laughs> Let me tell you that that's. Uh, that's just not plausible.
1: Yeah. So that's that's most of the, the critique that these uh, bills have received. And um, political parody is, gosh, that's existed uh, probably since the dawn of humanity, you know, impersonating the ruler um, and or whoever the political class might be. You know, SNL does this with real actors um, and with deep fake video. Maybe you could foresee a world where um, now... People have much more accessibility to edit video than they did in the past. You know, editing video was much much more expensive, um, and now it's a little more accessible. But at
0: the same time, also now every time I see a video, I question myself if it's real. Yeah,
1: I, and you know, is that such a bad reality that we live in? I think most of these uh, hand-wringing articles mm-hmm. about deepfakes kind of take in this assumption that. Video is this verifiable truth that will remain that way forever and ever. Amen. You
0: check next to each video.
1: <laughs> maybe, maybe you know. New York Times is working on this interesting project with a few other organizations um, using tokenization to uh, verify the authenticity of uh, written articles. Maybe it could be translated to audio recordings and video as well. Um, I was discussing the issue of deepfakes with a friend, and we were talking about Neil Stevenson's new novel. Uh, fall or a dodge in hell and in that uh, future world there um, are editors who are hired to kind of take there's all this you know in his kind of dystopian future there's all this misinformation that's just overwhelming every um, uh, kind of tr- uh, communications uh, technology. Yeah and so
0: jams like any any means of us getting information.
1: Basically so people are hiring real people or AIs to kind of manage that flow. Um, I don't know if that's like that's I, I want to say it's the best way to do things, but in a way, you know, it,
0: it already exists in a way yeah. Twitter's algorithm, like the way it shows us information and tweets that other tweet is based off not only our interests, but also the way we interact and uh, where we get our information. Yeah. So you don't have, we're have someone connected. To. Yeah.
1: So you're not hiring someone like a person to do that. But yeah, maybe you know, Twitter's algorithm is in a way uh, filtering it. And, you know, this is email spam we deal with email spam uh, every single day you know
0: if you're giving money to a prince of nigeria it's on you i'm sorry <laughs> or or like teach your elderly how not to get scammed. It's on your it's on their children, not on the society.
1: And that's you know, that's a way to com that's a way we've combated that issue. It's raising awareness. It's uh, telling people that, hey, this deceptive practice is out there. And I think instead that's instead of
0: banning email.
1: Exactly. And that's how we can also deal with deepfake, video or audio, you know, saying, hey, this is a thing. And I think that's probably the positive side of this hand-wringing and uh, fear mongering about deep fakes is just raising awareness of the issue. So once you know that it's a thing. I don't have to believe, you know, every video I see out there is, you know, you know, the truth with a capital T, um, that just changes the dynamic culture adapts and changes as we have with email spam, with misinformation and forged writing forged documents, um, forged photos. We haven't even talked about Photoshop. Uh, you know, people, I think it was a cover of uh, maybe Newsweek or time magazine saying, Oh, this is, you know, the death of. Death of truth because you know Photoshop is out there now. Anyone can manipulate images, and sure, we have seen some images manipulated that maybe made it into some sort of uh, popular conception. But for the most part, it's been uh, to it hasn't changed history exactly. Yeah, yeah. We we uh, take photos with a grain of salt in certain contexts. Um, some photos are even held up as you know this is an unedited image, and you know it's been verified by multiple through multiple angles and sources, and that is rewarded on its own merits. So I think with with video, we're probably we'll see a similar sort of uh, Shift adaptation. SHIFT IN SOCIETY, yeah. One final point, uh, you know, these claims that deepfakes will be the death of democracy. Uh, democracy was invented and developed before video, the advent of video. So even if, even if, and I don't think this would be the case, the worst case scenario, nightmare scenario, came to be the truth. Um, maybe we just wouldn't use videos in a court of law anymore, or even, say, to learn about a politician. Uh, the world developed, and uh, democracy existed before videos, and uh, people got along, and um, you know progress still happened uh, without video. So even if the nightmare scenarios came true, I don't think uh, the world would be as bad as people make it out to be.
0: With all these technologies and different areas of regulation of technology, one thing I notice is that regulators and people who are scared of a the future, their main issue is not actually the technology, it's the people behind it who use it. The horrible people who do something awful are of a problem, not the technology. The technology is just a tool. I think we for some reason give it a certain Autonomy for and and we mm-hmm. treat it as a separate entity, whereas it's just the people. Yeah. If someone is doctoring a yeah. video of Nancy Pelosi, sue him, sue the hell out of him. There are laws on the books. There's precedents on the books. It's not going to be that hard. Yeah. So,
1: well, and the same creativity that can happen in a negative sense happens in a positive sense, where uh, we can come up with good ways to adapt to whatever negative harms might come about from a new technology. And as you say, uh, policies and laws are already in the books that are often a good fit for the fears that we have about new technology.
0: Absolutely. Well, Taylor, thank you for being here. We're go- I'm going to have you back before the new host comes in. You're going you're gonna to be here again with me. Fantastic. Um, and we're going to link to the op-ed you wrote about this in the show notes. Uh, where else can our listeners find the work that you guys do?
1: So uh, standtogether.org. Uh, feel free to visit our website, learn more about us, um, and my own personal work. I keep on taylordbarclay.com.
0: And Twitter, Facebook, you guys are on all of those platforms. That's you can correct. Find your pages, awesome. Well, thank you for being here, and thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. Please leave us a review so others can find the show. Have a good day.